Good morning. Hopefully everyone is having a blessed morning. Hope everyone had a good Christmas. And hopefully we'll bring in the new year with family and friends. This is around this time of year we usually um Pastor Jeff was talking about New Year's resolution. It's something very common around this time of year. Everyone has New Year's resolution, something that they want to change, be do different going into the new year, whether that's, you know, eating more healthy, whether that's working out more, whether that's reading 15 books this year instead of 12, whatever it may be, we all, at some, during this time of year, we all make New Year's resolutions, and we all have goals or things that we want to do come the new year, change about the way that we do, and usually those last about three weeks, and then we're done with with those New, Re- new Year's resolutions, and and usually we we don't know why they just we just stop doing it. Um, and a lot of times it's life just happens. Um, things that come up unexpected change your plans. Things that you weren't expecting to happen just all of a sudden bring huge change in your life. And I, I see that the one thing that I can promise you this year is that at some point you probably will experience some type of hardship, some type of trial, something that doesn't go according to the way that you wanted it to go, but but that's the only thing that we have that I can say will happen at some point. At some point, life is going to hand you something different that you weren't expecting, and it gets just a little bit difficult. You start and you get challenged, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally or spiritually. You, something happens that challenges the way you think, and then you have to, at that point, make a choice. Whether you're going to keep doing what you want to do, whether you're going to hold fast to what you believe, or whether you're going to just budge a little and give in a little and change your plans or whatever it may be. And so that's the only thing that I can say that will happen this year is at some point you will be challenged. And you have to make a choice whether you're going to keep going the route that you want to go, keep hold steadfast to the things that you want to, to believe in, or whether you're going to budge a little. And so my challenge, my, my challenge to you guys is that in this new year, our resolution is to we grow deeper in our understanding of God, the understanding of his word, of his gospel, and how he impacts our life. And that no matter what happens, if you choose to, to stay faithful to God, you can get through anything. And so my goal is that we understand, we grow in our understanding of God's word, we grow in our understanding of God's love, and his mercy over our life. So I, I come today and I wanted to be in, in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And I think um, this is what I've been working throughout this week, this book, as, as I work through it. I think it's perfect for, for bringing in the new year, what we need to understand going into this new year. So if you guys can open up and, and read God's word with me. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things in him. All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your love and your mercy over our life. We thank you for getting us here in one piece, Father God. We thank you for everyone who you've brought here today safely, Father God. We ask that you be with us today as we go through your word, Father God, that we're able to receive whatever it is you want us to receive, Father God, that we're convicted, Lord, that we see areas that we need improvement in, Father God. We pray that that you soften our hearts to receive your word, to receive your blessings, Father. We ask and we eliminate any distractions that may come up. May we take this time to focus in on you, who you are, Lord, on your love and your mercy. May the words of my heart and the meditations of my mouth be edifying. So one of the first things, I got four points for us today. And one of the first points that we see in this passage is that everything was created for God. It starts with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And we see there's sometimes some confusion when people read this passage with verse 15. And he is the firstborn of all creation. This isn't talking that, that Christ at the virgin birth, came to existence at the virgin birth. This isn't that what this verse is saying. This is saying that, that Christ has the, the benefits, he has the privileges of a firstborn child. So I don't want us to read this and think that this means that Christ was created. We see that, that for by him all things were created in heaven and earth. It is, what it's saying is that when everything was created, Christ was there with the Father. That he did not just come to be, and he always was, and he always will be. And we see that everything was created by Jesus. All things simply just means here, everything. Everything was created by Christ, and we see for Christ. The rest of verse 16 says, All things were created through him and for him. So everything was created by God and it's for God. And we see that that what this means is that our lives do not belong to ourselves. We may think that we have some type of self-autonomy over our life, but, but what we see here is that that's not true. That our lives do not belong to us. That at the end of the day, everyone plays a role or has a purpose in God's redemptive plan. Whether you're a believer or not, at the end of the day, God is going to get the glory. Whether he is granting you salvation and you are receiving his mercy and love, God is going to get the glory. Whether you choose to refuse that, that there is a God and refuse to accept his, his son as your Lord and Savior, on the day of judgment, you will be judged according to God's wrath, according to his holiness and according to his righteousness. And in that, God will still get the glory. That no matter what happens, all of us are under God's redemptive plan. 
We were created for God. And we see in Isaiah 45, 23, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is God. At some point, we will come to the realization that there is a God and he is the ruler and king of our earth. We see that God is in charge, that God, we were created for God's purpose, not our own, not for anyone else, for God and God alone. And we see that, that in verse 17, it tells us, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Together, Christ is the sustainer of all things. Everything under creation is holding together by God and by Christ. And we see that our life is not our own. That we have to be willing to submit to what God has planned for us. And we don't always know that. We're not always aware. But we trust in God. We trust in his love. We trust in his mercy that he has our best interests at heart. That he knows what we need better than what we think we need. The second point we find in verse 18, that is that Christ is the head of the church. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We see here's the preeminent means that he is supreme, that he is the highest ranking authority in our church. At the end of the day, what, what we see here is that Christ is the leader. He is the head of the church. That's both the capital C church in large and both our church as a small denomination. At the end of the day, we belong to Christ and Christ alone and no one else. And we see that, that this is God's church, not anyone else's church. This isn't the BFC church. They may own this building, but this isn't the BFC church. This isn't the pastor's church. This isn't the elder's church. This isn't the congregation's church. This church belongs to Christ and Christ alone. He is our head. He is our, our leader. And all throughout our history as a church, we've always belonged to Christ and Christ alone. Whether it's when we first started meeting as a church back in 1914, or when we made the name change to BFC in 1959, or when we moved onto this property from the city in 1972, this church belongs to Christ and Christ alone. That is true today, that will be true tomorrow, and that will be true 100 years from now when we're all dead. Christ is the leader of this church. And our unity depends on God and God alone, not on anything else. Not on what, what we may believe and what we may not believe. We are united in Christ, in Christ alone. We should have pride that Faith Bible Fellowship of York will always belong to God and to no one else. He is the head of our church. And the message that should be preached from this pulpit should always be Christ crucified and resurrected. And as long as that's being done, it does not matter how many programs we have. It does not matter what our numbers are. It does not matter what kind of production we may put on. We belong to Christ and Christ alone. That is the only thing that should matter to us. Is that Christ is the head of the church. That we move, that the leaders here move by praying. They don't move by their own self. They seek after God first. And we have to trust in that process. Trust that God will take care of his church no matter what. The third point we see here is we are being reconciled to God by the life of Christ. 
We see this in, in, in 19 through 22. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And we see this, that the only way that we are at peace with God is that if we choose to stand before God, not under our own power, but under Christ's power, under his death, under his sacrifice for our sins, is the only way that we are able to come and be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. And we are able to stand before him and have peace. This is the same peace that we talked about last week as we looked at Isaiah 53, where it says that through his chastisement of Christ brings peace. Only through the sacrifice of Christ. And we saw this when we looked at Jeremiah 31, 34, when God says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You are at peace because of the life and death and sacrifice of Christ. And we see this when Christ was on that cross being ripped apart, held apart. That resembles, that points us back to Genesis 15 when Christ said, when God said, I will walk through these pieces and I will take the curse that belongs to you if you break this covenant. And we broke the covenant and God took the curse that was supposed to be for us. And so it's through this, it's through that, that we can be reconciled to God himself. It's through Christ's Death, it's through his resurrection on the cross, his willingness to suffer for us, that we can stand before a holy and righteous God and be declared righteous and be have peace. It is despite our wickedness we see here. He says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. It's despite our wickedness, despite what we might want to do first, despite anything of that, Christ decided, he says, yes, I died for that. He stands there as our advocate, as our lawyer in heaven, and says, I died for their wickedness. I died for their sins. I died for their wretchedness. And it's only through that that we're able to stand before a holy and righteous God as we sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's only then that we can stand and be declared holy and be declared blameless and above reproach. I love how, how the New Living Translation puts it. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As, res- as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You stand before God, cleared of any wrongdoing. Not because you deserve it, not because you, you've read your Bible every day, not because you pray every day, but because of what Christ did on the cross. God looks at your life, and despite your wretchedness, despite any wrongdoing that you may have committed, he looks at you and he says he does not find a single fault. And there's peace and there's a great and there's something that that, that is amazing about about that, that that just fills my heart with joy that, that despite my own self, despite the many mistakes I may make in my life, I can stand before God in the power of Christ and be declared righteous, not because I deserve it, but because Christ loves me enough to take my place, take my place on that cross. 
as I was preparing this, I, I was remembered of, of the last verse in, in Christ alone, where it says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. And we see that, that as long as we stand before poor God and we, we claim to be saved, and we claim to believe in his son and his death and his resurrection, there's nothing, there's no power of hell, there's no scheme of man that can ever pluck us from a holy and righteous God. We stand before him holy and blameless because of the work that Christ did on the cross. Not because we deserved it, not because you've been faithful, because of what Christ did and what he did alone. And we see that it's, that it's the blood of Christ that brings us peace. It's the blood of Christ that satisfies the righteous anger of God. And there's nothing else that can satisfy that righteous anger. It doesn't matter how many times you may pray. It doesn't matter how many times or how much you give. It doesn't matter if you serve at a church or not. None of that satisfies the righteous anger of God. It is blood, Christ's blood and blood alone that satisfies that anger. And we see here what we're told. The last point is we're told to remain steadfast and grounded in the gospel. We're told here, we're told here to persevere. And we see that, that all everything of, of, of verses 19 through 22 leans on if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You see, our hope, our hope is in Christ alone and nothing else. I, I, I read that verse and I think... What it's telling us is, is that the gospel of Christ is not something that we simply believe in at one time and we earn salvation, then we're done with it. That there's progress to be made in the gospel. That just simply praying a prayer is not the end goal. We have not obtained that goal. This is like a... a when in sports, when a team takes the lead, they don't just stop playing. They keep playing. They try to finish the game. Just because you, you may be saved doesn't mean that, that that's the end of it. The gospel is not a one-time thing. We are never done with the gospel. The gospel is something that we need to be preaching to ourselves on a daily basis. We are sanctified in the gospel, not in anything else. We see here that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in the gospel is something that we have to remain rooted in on a daily basis. How do you not shift? How do you remain stable and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel? It's by preaching the gospel to yourself. That's the only way to remain faithful to the gospel is to preach it to yourself on a daily basis. And we see in Lamentations 3, 23, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And so what we have to do 
is on a daily basis. We have to position ourselves to receive God's mercy, to receive his love, to receive his grace. Not because it gives us a better standing with God. We can't earn a better standing with God. But it's because it helps us to remain rooted in the gospel. If you want to stand firm and not be shaken by anything that may happen in the new year, if you want to be able to take on any trial, any struggle that you may face, you have to remain rooted in the gospel and in the gospel alone. Not in your jobs, not in your spouse, not in your kids, not even your church. You have to remain rooted in the gospel and gospel alone. We see in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so there's work to be done in the gospel for our own sake. Not because we can earn a better, better standing, not because we can earn a better salvation, but because we need to remain rooted. And you only remain rooted by practicing the gospel and preaching it to yourself on a daily basis. This is why, why Paul in Philippians 2.12 says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Not because you can earn something better, but it's because it's for your own sake. It's for you to be edified. It's for you to remain rooted. You have to work out your faith. Not because you earn greater faith, not because it gives you anything, but because we are called to remain steadfast in the gospel of Christ and nothing else. And so even though we have been reconciled to God, there's still work to be done for our own sake. We see that the gospel is for daily edification. We need to be practicing. We need to be reminded of the gospel on a daily basis. Not once a year, not twice a year, but every day. We need to wake up and realize that the very breath that we have was given to us by the creator of the world, by God himself. And that everything we have, all the comforts in life, is a blessing from God. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are able to stand before a holy and righteous God because of what Christ did on the cross. And you are declared righteous because of the sacrifice of Christ in his resurrection. And so you do not waver from that. You remain steadfast in that as we go about this new year. The goal shouldn't be to just... We should be wanting to read and read the, read the Bible all the way through, but you're not saved by that. If you're not practicing the gospel every day, it, you can waver in it. If it's not true, if you're not experiencing God's love on a daily basis and thanking him for everything that you have, it's going to be hard to remain steadfast and to not drift away. We have to be practicing the gospel on a daily basis. We have to position ourselves before a holy and righteous God and thank him for everything we have and realize that even on our best days, we do not deserve anything that we have. Even on our best days, we don't deserve the love and grace of God. And we have to make that a realization every day of our life. We have to remain steadfast. We cannot waver from the hope of the gospel. 
We need to be praying. We need to be seeking after God's face every day. We are not done. The gospel is not a one-time thing. We don't simply just come and pray a prayer and we're saved and it ends there. We need to be seeking after God's face. We need to be seeking God and praying to him and thanking him and asking him to give us the strength to deal with whatever comes our way. All the trials and tribulations, if we are practicing, if we are remaining steadfast in the gospel, will not waver us, will not knock us down. Our call is to remain steadfast in the gospel of Christ and in nothing else. And as long as that's true in our lives, there is no scheme of hell that can waver you, that can knock you down. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you, humble, before your throne of grace, before your throne of mercy, God. Thanking you for your love and your mercy over our lives. That despite anything we may do, you still look at us and you still love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. But we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it. We never earned it, God, but you, being rich and full of mercy, declares us righteous. We are above reproach because of what your son did, and we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you remind us of that on a daily basis, that every day that we walk this earth, we're reminded of your son's sacrifice for us on the cross, and that it brings us to our knees, Father God. And that there's days where, where that's even more prevalent. And it brings us to tears at times, Father God, because we can't fathom your love. We can't fathom that you would choose to save us, Father God. But you did. And we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you continue to bless us. We ask that as we go about the rest of this day, as we bring up and bring in a new year, that we remain steadfast in your word, Father God. We remain steadfast in the gospel of Jesus Christ in Christ alone. We thank you and we honor you in everything. In your son's name we pray. Amen.